God gives strength to the weary. He gives strength to the people that he loves. Mostly, you know, when you originally hear that or you see that in Scripture, he's usually talking about Israel, his chosen folks. But guess what? You have been grafted into that group of folks, and you're part of that group. Praise God for that. Praise His holy name, because without that, we have no hope. We have no joy. We're going to find joy, but we have no hope. So it is in the interest of this scripture that we're going to read tonight. If you want to turn to Psalm 68, that's where the scripture will start. I don't know where I'm going because there's a bunch of scripture to read, but we're going to read it and we're going to go through it. If I need to come back, I'll come back. God gives us strength to his people. Yes, he is talking about Israel, but he's also talking about you and I as well. If we proclaim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, then that strength applies to us as well. He gives it to all his people, both Jew and Gentile alike. He shows no partiality. Our response should be what? To praise him, to praise his holy name. This Advent season, can I encourage you all to know without a doubt, if you before you leave here tonight, know without a doubt that he cares about your hurts, your pains, your uncertainty, the blips that come across your radar, Advent can be defined as a time of expectant return, waiting for something glorious to happen in this case. The return of Jesus Christ, guys, we should be so excited about it, we can't even stay in our own skin. Sometimes we get so weary, we forget that he's coming, don't we? Have you got your house ready for him to spend the night with you, to eat with you, to dine with you? Have you got it ready? Let's get ready for him. Let's go back home at tonight. Let's clean the house and let's get ready for his return because he's going to be tired when he gets here because he's coming a long ways. So be ready for him. He is so excited. The second coming of Jesus, that's what the Advent really means, or, or it, the most generally speaking, when in the New Testament, when you're talking about the Advent, it's the return of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you guys a story about being weary. My dad, if he were alive, he'd be 97. His name is Homer. Homer had all these Homerisms. You have any parents that had those isms? that they always said. And he said it, he would say things all the time. He'd laugh, we'd laugh, and then he'd tell the same story in another 30 minutes, and it would have a different ending. But it'd have the same story line, and we'd laugh again. And that's the way he kept you in stitches all the time. Weary, according to Webster, one of the definitions is, think about this just for a second, weariness. Exhausted in strength, Endurance, vigor, or freshness. Can anybody relate? Has anybody been had their uh, armor kind of tarnished, needs to be polished back up? Have you lost your strength, your endurance, your vigor, or your freshness? 
My dad, if he were still alive, he had terminology that nobody understood, but we understood it. You know what I mean? One of the phrases that he used all the time was war slick. Anybody war slick? You might ask me, you say, Paul, what does war slick mean? Here's what it means. This is Homer's version of it. Well, in the auto repair business, a tire on your auto, where all the tread was wore off, your tire no longer had stability in providing grip on the road, and hence the term war slick. It now becomes what we call a may-pop. Anybody know what that is? It may pop at any moment, and you got a problem. Well, in a sense, our treads have all been affected this year. When the tread of your soul is continually attacked, unless you apply or allow the tread maker to give you new traction, then your soul will become weary, and if not dealt with, it will spin out of control and it will eventually pop. That's our souls, guys. So it takes constant care. It takes constant vigilance. It takes constant reminders that we cannot do this life on our own. My wife told me that I would get off my notes and I would take about 43 years to get through 20 pages of note, and she's exactly right. Where is your focus as you prepare to close out 2020? I want to make y'all think back a minute. Some of you guys, there's no way you would know anything about these dates unless you studied history. Anybody a history buff? We've got one, Justin. Looking back, I envision this year as being a year of clarity. Hence the word, or the, the number 2020, kind of like our eyesight, right? Thought that would... Maybe that God is going to show something this year that's going to want me to make me click my heels. Well, I sort of made a New Year's resolution saying that I asked God to show me a clearer understanding of who he is and in how I could serve him more clearly. It turns out that 2020 has been anything but clear. 2020 may be a transformative year of the 21st century. We've had a lot of transformative years in our recent history, starting back in uh, 1776. Anybody alive that year? No, that's kind of the year that this country became what we call the United States of America. In 19, or 1865, we had problems. 1941, we had problems. In 1963, John F. Kennedy was shot. A lot of other things, we had problems. In 1968, Martin Luther King was shot. Uh, we had a lot of problems. We still got a lot of problems. In 2001, anybody remember what happened that year? And now we got 2020. We got problems. No different than they were those years. People thought times were coming to an end. People thought every year it's a new proposal that this is the end time. We may be in those early days, guys, but it's going to get tough. Where do you put your anchor in? What do you, where do you grasp hold of that has true something that you can grab hold of? This may be a transformative year in the fact that we've had a few things go kind of crazy. This pandemic's kind of overblown, but it's caused a lot of 
ruckus, this massive unemployment, unmeasurable morbidity. I don't know if there's any more dead this year than there were last year that's died, but death is 100%, 100% of the time. Something's going to get us, right? Are you ready to meet death? I know that's a hard question to answer, but it's something that my wife and I have really tossed and turned over lately. We had a really good friend that went home. We don't know for sure which home she went to, but just in a matter of instance, she hit head on with another car and was killed. This is a girl that was in my wife's college, best friends, high school, excuse me. She was in her wedding. She was a good friend. She was the life of the party. Everything that Joanne did, people liked her. You know people like that? But if she doesn't know the Lord, there's going to be a separation. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I am trying to scare you. Because it, death is a reality. I believe everybody in this room probably can tell me wholeheartedly they know where they're going. But a lot of our friends don't. A lot of those people we care so much about don't have a clue. They look at us and they think we're weird. You don't lose anything if you tell them about Jesus, but you win everything. You don't know who's going to accept. You don't know who's going to deny we have children that are blatantly against Jesus right now. But I believe through prayer, they can come back to know Jesus as well. How can I rejoice when I'm weary? How can we rejoice? It says in Psalm 35, 9 this, Then I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad because he what? He rescues me. He is the only one that can rescue us from being in the mess we're in. And guys, we're in a big mess. If you're walking, you're still in a mess. It's just like cleaning up after a dog. The next day, you got another thing to clean up again. And then sometimes, two or three times a day, you got to clean up. So it's kind of like that. We walk around, and we expect to think we stay clean, when really we don't. This heart is deceitfully wicked, that's what Scripture tells us. The only way to clean that is to give to the Lord and say, clean me from the inside out. I need a, I need a belly washing. I need, I need to be immersed with His mercy, His grace, His kindness, His goodness. And I need it regularly. We can look at this year and we could be really depressed. Or we can look at this and say, this has caused me to have to lean into the Lord more. You know what? I like that. I'm not saying I like what we're going through. I like the fact that I can't do it on my own. Because I'm a mess. Now we're to the scripture. Now you see why my wife said it'll take three months to get through this. Psalm 68, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you want, guys, if you can kind of put that up on the screen, if nobody has New Living, 
uh, that's okay too. I'm going to try to read this as quickly as possible, but without spitting too much and, and basically uh, keep you awake, in other words. I'm going to inject into it. I don't know what I'm going to inject yet, but God does, and you just pray that he's going to inject the right thing. Here we go. Everybody ready? Psalm 68. Whoo! Rise up, not you guys, but oh God, and scatter your enemies. If you've got some enemies, you might need to ask God to scatter them. Let those who hate God run for their lives. Wow. Blow them away like smoke. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God. Verse 3. But let the, ungod- or excuse me, let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Verse 4. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God, whose dwelling is holy. Six, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I want to just say this. If he makes the lonely ones to have family, if he provides feed for even the sparrow, how much more is he going to do for you? You are his child. If you completely put your trust in him, he will provide so much more than you could have ever imagined. You may not see it on the surface. You may not feel like he's there right at the very moment all the time that you need, but I can guarantee it. His promises never, ever, ever, ever fail. His promises are true. Rest in his arms. Lean on his everlasting love. Know that without a shadow of a doubt, He is Lord. He is Lord of all. Not just a little bit of what you give him, but the whole shooting match. He wants your very littlest thought to your massive meltdown. He didn't say, be picky about it when you pick your phone up and call me. He said, just call me and just call me cry out to me and I will give you the rest that your soul needs the sign of the sacred chest anybody know what the sacred chest is that's the ark of the covenant it was going from Sinai I think that right I'll I'll get it right here the site of the sacred chest underway suggested when God arises and moves into action When God moves, don't you get excited? Especially if you're on his side. Now, if you're on the other side, I don't know if you want to see him move because it ain't going to be a good ending. For his enemies, it means disaster and dispersal. But for the righteous, 
deep-seated joy. Is there anything better than that when you've got something that just bubbles over in this thing called your heart to just give him praise after praise? I oh, mean, I got that stuff going tonight. Yeah, I mean, it just gets me excited to think about how much praise we should give the Father. We don't necessarily always get up in the morning with a cheerful heart. My wife would argue that I get up with three or four cups of coffee before I get up, but I still want another cup of coffee. I like to be excited about the Lord. When you have conversation with your friends, with your loved ones, with those that don't even like you, you know what I found? Is a little bit of love disperses anger. Not always. Sometimes it just makes them even madder. But you know what? There's a scripture that says he'll pour salt in their wounds. Kind of. You know, you get the picture. He's going to deal with whatever he has to deal with. We don't have to judge those folks. All we got to do is love them. All we got to do is just maintain and keep our blinders up and our attention on the Lord. He will share with you. He will show you how to minister to somebody who is not ministerable. That doesn't even make sense. But who can't be ministered to? If God said it, you do it, he's going to be faithful. He's going to help you understand that person that's so obstinate better. It may be possible that you speak to somebody and they're just, um, they're just meanness at, at best. But you know what? He may have a plan to open their hearts and crack them open and they may come running to the cross. See, we have a mission, guys, and it's not going to take long before we don't have that mission anymore. He's given us a, a job to do. And he says, while you're here, you just be about my business. When you're about my business, I'm going to take care of all the, the enemies. I'm going to give you what you need to get through. Back to the scriptures. Verse 7. Oh God, when you lead your people out of Egypt... When you march through the dry wasteland, I want you just to stop for a minute because the psalmist says interlude. He said pause. He said reflect. Okay, so he took the people out of Egypt. Should they be joyful? Should they be overcome with praise for the Father? No, they got to complain a little bit more. That manna just wasn't, man, it was, a, it was just blah. Shoes never wore out. When you go through your weariness, can you see the joy still? Can you see something in the midst of a COVID situation where you can't see your wife for how many weeks, Bubba? A couple? Do you see the, the beauty that, that comes together when you did get to put your arms back around her? See, God holds us at bay sometimes to really get a, get a grip on what's out there to grasp hold of and hold on to. It may take a while. You may be in a holding tank for a while. 
you may have to suffer a little bit before you get the blessing. Back to the scripture. The ark is moving from Sinai through the wilderness. Oh God, when you lead your people out of Egypt, when you march through the dry wasteland, we're interlude, we have that pause there. The earth trembled and the heavens poured down rain before you, the God of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. And then starting in verse 9 through 14, we understand that the entrance and conquest of the land of Canaan, you, ascent, you sent abundant rain, O oh God, to refresh the weary land. Anybody ever been in a rainstorm? Anybody ever been in a dry and parched, weary land, and all of a sudden it comes a nice, beautiful rain down on, your, on yourself, and you just kind of want to stand out in the rain? It's the most unbelievable to me, when a, when a rain comes from, a, from afar and it gets close, you can even smell it in the air. It's the most beautiful smell from the ugliness that dryness of soul causes. When your soul is refreshed, it's as if God opened up the door and said, welcome, awake from your dreadful sleep. When you have a bad dream, you wake up. If you're like me, you want to get up. You don't want to go back to sleep because you might dream that thing more. When you're so tired and, and, and you're just wore out and you're wore slick like my dad said, the only place to get that tread replaced, to get it going again, to get that casing. He, he called them casings too. He didn't call them tires. He called them casings. The only way to get that casing back properly running and secure and, and is to run and say, Lord, put new tread on me. Verse 10, there your people finally settled. And with a bountiful harvest, O God, you provided for your needy people. The Lord gives word and a great army brings the good news. Verse 12, enemy kings and their armies flee while the women of Israel Divide the plunder. 13. Even though those who lived among the sheepfolds found treasures, doves with wings of silver and feathers of gold, the mighty scattered the enemy's king, enemy kings like a blowing snowstorm on Mount Zalman. The mountains of Bashan are majestic with great many peaks stretching high into the sky. Why do you look with envy, O rugged mountains, at Mount Zion? where God has chosen to live, where the Lord himself will live forever. 17, surrounded by unnumbered thousands of chariots, the Lord came from Mount Sinai into his sanctuary. Verse 18, then you ascended to the heights. You led a captive, a crowd of captives. You received gifts from the people, even from those who rebelled against you. Now the Lord God will live among us there. In 18, 15 through 18, it was the capture of Jerusalem by David. In 19 through 23, the song praising God for victory over the Jebusites. If you jump all the way over to 24, it talks about the possession carrying the ark to the sanctuary in Jerusalem. 
starting in 24. Your possession has come into view, O God. The possession of my God and King as he goes into the sanctuary. Singers are in front, musicians behind. behind between them are young women playing tambourines. Verse 26. Praise God, all you people of Israel. Praise the Lord. If Bert was here tonight, I would get him to say it. Bert will always tell you to praise the Lord. If you don't know Bert, you need to get to know Bert. Praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life. 27, look, the little tribe of Benjamin leads the way. Then comes a great throng of rulers from Judah and all the rulers of Zebulon and Naphtali. In verses 28 through 35, we see the jubilant throng anticipating the final victory of God. Verse 28, summon your might, O God. Display your power, O God, as you have in the past. The kings of the earth are bringing tribute to your temple in Jerusalem. 30, rebuke these enemy nations, these wild animals lurking in the reeds, this herd of bulls among the weaker calves. Make them bring bars of silver in humble tribute. Scatter the nations that delight in war. Verse 31, let Egypt come with gifts of precious metals. Let Ethiopia bring tribute to God. 32, sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. When you sing praises, if you sing praises and praises and praises, you may need to take a break. You may need an interlude. You may need to sit, pause, and reflect. See, when we praise God, we have to sit and think why he wants to be praised. We need to sit and think sometimes when he, we read Scripture. We constantly sit and think about what we read so that it sinks deep in here so that when we are in a weary land, we can recall those scriptures. Recalling scriptures, guys, is the medicine that will put soul back in your tread instead of tread on your soul. No, it'll put tread back in your soul. It'll give you a great refreshment. It'll be like that rain that falls down on you after a long, dry season. When we see a good rain out here, Bert would say, praise the Lord. The closing verses call on the kingdoms of the earth to acknowledge the God of Israel as worthy of homage and praise. The words carry a tremendous sense of the gender, or grandeur and greatness of God. He is the transcendent one who rides in the ancient heavens. He is the God of revelation. He speaks with a mighty voice. He is the omnipotent one, strong on behalf of Israel, but almighty beyond the clouds. Verse 35. It is actually the verse, the scripture, that is about the advent. So I read 34 verses to get to there. So 35 says, God is awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. That's you. That's you. That's me. Praise be to God. 
awesome he is in his holy places. Yet, guess what? He stoops down to give strength and power to his people. He's in the high heavens, guys. Think about it this way. Do you have time to stop and stoop down? We get busy sometimes, don't we? He never is too busy. He stoops down and he refreshes. He gives strength to the ones that he loves. In any situation, there is only one thing left to say. Blessed be God, the God that loves you, the God who gives you hope, joy. We're still looking for joy. If anybody finds her, you let me know. In his messianic setting, the psalm pictures Christ four different points. Incarnation, number one. Number two, his conquest at Calvary. Number three, his ascension. And number four, the second advent. Psalm 68, 35, which I just read. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Psalm 29, 11 says this. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Psalm 66, 5 says this. Come and see what God has done. Oh, he is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Colossians 1:11 says this. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And Isaiah 40, 29 says this. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. The second coming of Christ. Deborah, you're right. I'm a long ways from ending here. We believe, I got 17 minutes, it says. We believe in the second coming of Christ. Do you believe in the second coming of Christ? Do you believe it? with your whole heart? Do you know without a doubt that he's going to come knocking on your house someday? And he's going to come with a myriad of angels, a host of angels. I don't know about you, but I get a little bit, wow, that's going to be amazing for the people who love him. It's not going to be so amazing for those who don't know him. His return from heaven will be personal, visible, and glorious. A blessed hope for which we should constantly watch and pray. Before he establishes his kingdom on earth, Jesus will come for his church, an event commonly referred to as the rapture. At that time, the dead in Christ will be raised, and living Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and be with him forever. I didn't say for a little while. I said forever. Guys, that's a great promise. You endure for a time. You ask any of the disciples that served him in the early church. Most of them 
struggled to be by his side. But they came around. Will we need to do that at some point? Will we be able to stand the test of time? Will we be able to be there when it's most important? At the time the dead in Christ will be raised and a living Christian will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I get so excited about reading that. And be with him forever. In this resurrection, those who have died in Christ will have their redeemed souls and spirits united with a body similar to Christ's glorified body. Christians living at the time of the event will not die, but will be changed to be like Christ. This expectation is a motivation for holy living as well as a source of comfort. No, one, no man knows the day or the hour when this will take place. After the rapture of the church, Christians will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. He will, be, he will reward them on the basis of the works they have accomplished. This is not a judgment to determine their salvation, but a reward for labor on Christ's behalf. Let's get busy about God's work. Let's get busy, brothers and sisters, so that we are obedient. The rapture will also inaugurate a period that the Bible characterizes as the great day of his wrath, the great tribulation, and the time of Jacob's trouble. This time of unprecedented difficulty will affect Israel and all nations. Its purpose will be to prepare Israel for her Messiah. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ will return with the host of heaven as well as the church to establish the messianic kingdom on earth. His kingdom will last for a thousand years. At the second coming, the Antichrist will cast, be cast into the lake of fire, and Satan will be bound for a thousand years. The nations and their representatives will be judged. Israel will be restored to her land, never more to be removed. Christ will reign with firmness and equity. His kingdom will be marked by material and spiritual blessings since the curse upon the earth will be removed. The messianic kingdom will close with apostasy and rebellion. God will crush this uprising in the last battle of the ages, and Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. All those who rejected the word of God will be resurrected. They will be judged by Christ and cast into the lake of fire, the place where they will suffer final and everlasting punishment. They will be separated from the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't want to be separated. I want to be in his presence. I want to be able to say, I want him to hopefully be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. After this judgment, there will be a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness is the norm. Would that not be unbelievable to even grasp that righteousness will be the norm? How many of you know that you can hang your hat on a righteous act that, that was the precedent for the week? You know, it's hard to see righteousness in, in working in our society today. Because there's so much 
stuff that righteousness has to work through. <laughs> it's pretty humbling to know. Shane just had a beautiful hymn a while ago. My favorite Christmas song, O Holy Night. I want to remind you guys what the words are. The stars are brightly shining. Oh, excuse me. O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. That's the first verse of my favorite Christmas carol, Oh, Holy Night. It's a beautiful song, even if it's basically impossible for most people to sing, except Shane and a a few others, but... And the lyrics carry a beauty that matches the melody very well. In the words of this song, there's a deep truth that we should celebrate all year long. The coming of Jesus and how it changed everything. Sin. Romans 5.12 tells us that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. This is referring to the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 through 3. Adam, the first man, disobeyed God, and by doing so, condemned the world. In Genesis 3, we read that actually Eve sinned first, and Adam followed. But the Bible always places the responsibility on Adam as the head of the family and the representative of the human race. When Adam sinned, all humanity sinned in him. That's a hard concept understand but Romans 5 19 tells us this clearly says this though the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners what this means is that every person who is born is born a sinner by nature we have sin hardwired hardwired into our flesh by virtue of being a descendant of Adam we aren't born neutral we've been corrupted we've we weren't We aren't able to follow God's commands. We don't want to. Romans 8, 7 says, Clearly, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. That's the natural state of all humanity ever since the first sin of the first man. That's what the hymn means when it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Generation after generation of humanity lived and died under the power of sin, waiting and hoping for salvation. And guess what? Hope showed up. God didn't leave humanity to suffer without help or hope. He gave his law to show the seriousness of sin and to point towards the promised hope. Those who trusted in God and sought to obey his law were given grace and their sins weren't counted against them. But that wasn't the final solution. Those sins remained piled up. You got a backpack on? Take it off. Leave it here. He wants it. He doesn't want you to take it home full of all that stuff. 
In other words, they needed to be dealt with. God could not just ignore them because he is just and sin must be punished. Who would uh, rescue humanity from the power of sin? Rescue. Second verse of O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. When Jesus was born, everything was new. The weary world, laden down by sin, rejoiced with a thrill of hope. Why? Because Jesus was not just another human child born under the condemnation, condemnation of sin. Jesus wasn't a normal baby following in the footsteps of his ancestor Adam. No, Jesus was the Son of God, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, eternal God, because flesh to dwell among us. Because eternal God become flesh to dwell among us. God with us. Emmanuel. And as a result, Jesus was able to be a new Adam, a new representative for the human race. He was born sinless, and he succeeded where Adam failed. He obeyed his father perfectly. What's more, he looked, he took the penalty of our sins by dying on the cross. Jesus was the sacrifice that our sins required. On the cross, Jesus paid for all our, those piled up sins committed in the past by those who followed God in faith, Romans 3, 25 through 26. And likewise, on the cross, Jesus paid for all the sins committed today and in the future by those who would follow God in faith through Jesus, Romans 5, 18 through 19. All humanity is born into Adam's race. We are born corrupt and sinful, hostile to God by nature. But now we can be born again into a new race of humanity with Jesus as our representative rather than Adam. He gives us a new nature through the Holy Spirit and allows us to begin the journey by growing to be more like Jesus and less like Adam. So let's not wait until Christmas to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Let's not wait. Let's start. If you haven't started already, let's rejoice with a thrill of hope every day because of this glorious truth. And let us turn from our sin and error day by day and live like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there is now no, not a little bit, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's Romans 8, 1 through 4. In closing, my buddy of mine, Richard Tromley, told me, that there's a great scripture in Zephaniah. In Zephaniah, it's a short reference to the second coming is contained in the Nicene Creed. He, who is Jesus, shall come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
He's coming. Are you ready? Are you telling your friends about him? Are you encouraging them with love? That, that peace that passes understanding. Are you encouraging them as they go through their trials? As you go through your trials, what example are you showing them? How do we expect to get the weary world to rejoice if we can't weary with them? If we can't love them? If we can't hold their hand as they painfully try to do it on their own? But by us being the example, maybe they will come to know Jesus Christ. I got to hurry. I got three minutes. Zephaniah chapter 3 begins with the review of all the things the Jewish people have done against God. And they knew better. They blatantly refused to obey him or even listen to him. Words mentioned are words such as rebellious, accepts no correction, does not trust God, does not draw near to God, arrogant, treacherous men. Priests profane the sanctuary, do violence to the law, and then the end of the chapter focuses on the ultimate day of the Lord, the final judgment day yet to come. And it lines up with Revelation. There will be a day when all people will know He is Lord. They may not accept Him right now, but the day when He comes, that will be too late. In God's mercy and love, when the final day of judgment comes and Jesus comes for his bride, the church, those who have made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life will be loved into the new Jerusalem because God will see us as he sees Christ. Christ's blood has been poured upon us to cleanse us white as snow. However, for others it will be too late and all who do not know Jesus Christ will face the final judgment. God will not take joy in what is happening. The word actually tells us that each person who did not choose Jesus and must face the final ju judgment will deeply grieve the Father. Think about that a minute, guys. Pause and reflect on that just a minute. How much our Father wants everybody to come to a saving knowledge of knowing Him as Lord and Savior. He doesn't want one soul to perish. So where do you stand with him? Are you sold out to God? I want you to reflect on this stuff as I read this. Read his word daily. Obey him. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. And share what he has done for you with others in a loving way. Or do you still, are you still riding the fence? And are you afraid to share him with what he has done in your life with others around you? Remember, our life is truly for an audience of one, and that one is our God, the one and only true God. So if you know your life is dedicated to him, then, you are, share, are, then are you sharing him with others before it is too late? Reflect, pause, think about that. In Christ, there is no condemnation, and my words are not words to condemn merely to get you to thinking about what Zephaniah said because he believed completely in God and he knew judgment was coming. He wanted everyone to be part. He wants everyone to be part of the remnant. Did you happen to count the number of times the word remnant is? Go back home, read chapter 3, 
and find how much it talks about the remnant. Remember as you read about the final judgment day to not allow the enemy to fill you with fear. See, today we live in a time where fear can take over our lives if we allow it. Don't allow fear to rule the day, a moment, a second, a millisecond. If you feel fearful, cry out to the Lord. He will remove that fear. If he doesn't remove it, he has a reason it's there. He wants you to lean into him and cry out to him and beg him for mercy. The word tells us whose we are. Know it. Claim it. Live accordingly. John 10.10 tells us that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we may have life to the full, fill it overflows. Know whose you are. Know what the word says about who and whose we are. Pray and ask God to show you what he wants you to know. Expect an answer in his timing. His timing is always perfect. Not always easy. But ultimately, it is perfect. And with that said, thank you for being so attentive. May we pray. Father God, it has been a privilege and honor to be in your presence this evening. Lord, I know that you have much to share with us. I pray, Lord, in the days ahead, as we approach this Christmas season, Lord, that you will open up the hearts of your folks so they can receive you fully for what you intend, Lord. I just pray for the families that are represented here in this church, Lord. I pray for the ones who cannot be here, the ones that are uh, possibly watching on YouTube, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you will provide their needs, that you will lead God and direct them, Lord, and that you will help them have a sense of turning things over to you. As Shane leads in and closes out this evening in, in song, Lord, I pray that we sing with a thankful heart, with a grateful heart, that we'll sing louder than we've ever sung before in honor and glory about you, Lord. I thank you that you are who you say you are, that you're not, you have not changed. You're not different than you were yesterday, today, or tomorrow. You're the same. We can rely on you. We can trust you. Whatever we're going through, Lord, we give it up to you now. We want to take our backpacks off. We want to leave them at the door. And we don't want to take them home with us, Lord, because we want to start afresh, anew. We're waiting on your second coming, Lord. Help us to prepare for that time. We give you glory, honor, and praise because of who you are. And we love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, all of God's children said, amen.